This is The Guardian. Today, when some Mexican journalists go out to report, they take photos of their clothes just in case their bodies need to be identified later. Why reporting in the country has become so dangerous. Before we start, a heads up. This episode contains strong language and violence. A couple of years ago, we did an episode on the epidemic of crime in the Mexican city of Tijuana. By some measures, the most dangerous city in the world. Our Latin America correspondent, Tom Phillips, wasn't the only journalist covering it. I remember one night we, we'd been waiting for hours, sitting around waiting for a call at the Red Cross headquarters. And I sped out of there in a, in a four by four. Racing through dark streets, through traffic lights, really pretty, pretty scary uh, stuff to get to the scene. And then finally we arrived and uh, there'd been a shooting at a petrol station. One guy was being rushed into an ambulance. There was another guy I think he seemed already be, to be dead. Um, and five or six people had obviously been shot and the shooting had obviously taken place just a few minutes early. Uh, and I jumped out of our car thinking, we're, we're, we're almost the first people, you know, this has just happened. Surely no one else can have got to the scene. And I just remember sort of looking across the petrol station forecourt and the red lights from the ambulances shining and seeing Margarita who had already arrived and him filming with his phone, uh, which I think was typical of him because he, he is, he was, the top crime reporter in Tijuana, and he was legendary for always being everywhere first. It was impossible to go to a crime scene in Tijuana and not run into Margarita. Margarito Martinez made his name in Tijuana by always being the first to crime scenes in the city. But earlier this year, the crime scene was his own doorstep. Margarito was shot dead by two gunmen one of 11 Mexican journalists to be killed so far this year, including three in the past week alone. That's nearly as many as have died covering the war in Ukraine. It's not a new problem in Mexico, but under a Mexican president who calls journalists enemies of the people, reporting the news has never been more dangerous. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, the death of Margarito Martinez and Mexico's wave of journalist killings. Tom, what did you do when you heard about Margarito's killing? This guy you had encountered in your own reporting, one of several journalists who have been killed in Mexico this year. So Margarita was a close friend of a good friend of mine up in Tijuana. And as soon as I'd heard that he'd been shot, I thought I've got to get up there and this is a story we really need to tell. So I booked a ticket, um, went up to Tijuana and started meeting up with his friends, his family, people who could tell us the story of this amazing crime reporter who everybody really loved and respected. And tell me about some of the people that you met there and what they told you about Margarito. Margarita was one of the leading lights of this very tight-knit group of Tijuana journalists who often cover really hard things together and group together for security and to help each other. And in that group, one of the very closest people to Margarita was Bibi Gutierrez, who goes way back with Margarita, was one of his closest friends. 
and in fact gave him his first camera about 20 years ago. Bibi, like pretty much everyone else who knew Margarito, described him as pretty much the nicest guy in town, constantly smiling in spite of the horrific things he was covering night after night and always showing off his big sparkly teeth. Everybody likes him, everyone talks about his smile, everyone talks about how hard-working he was. This was a family guy, he had a daughter. And yet he was constantly um, staying up all night, racing around town, two, three, four, five o'clock in the morning, chasing crime scenes, really terrible, um, hard things to report that he would have seen. Um, and yet somehow was, was constantly, seemed to be in a good mood, smiling, helping everybody, giving them contacts, helping them do their jobs, even as he was doing his own. And Tom, tell me about that dark side of Tijuana. Like, what is going on there that makes it such a dangerous place for journalists, but really for everybody? So Tijuana has long had a reputation as Mexico's sin city. I and mean, this goes all the way back to prohibition in the 1920s when US celebrities and gangsters would come down to Mexico. Things started to really spiral out of control in the 80s and 90s. Um, it's long been a city with with cartel presence. It's long been a smuggling hub. And then in 2006, when Mexico's then president launches the, his so-called war on drugs, uh, things really start to go wrong. Mexico is reeling from drug violence more deadly than the war in Afghanistan. Six died in this shootout, but nearly 100 people are being murdered every week. And that is when many journalists from around Mexico and around the world start flocking to Tijuana to cover this explosion of violence as the security forces and rival cartels start battling it out. And in this incredibly dangerous atmosphere, what was Margarito's reporting like? How would he operate day to day? So Margarito's nickname uh, was Cuatro Cuatro, which gives you a, a, a bit of a clue as to how he would operate. He was constantly working police radios, um, these reporters have scanners and they're listening in to police frequencies. So Cuatro Cuatro was a sort of invented code that meant everything's okay. They're constantly listening out for codes that give them a clue to what is going on in the city. So if they hear 1050 over the radio, it means someone's dead or there's been a shooting. It's 10.16, it means someone's been injured. And so they're listening to these frequencies, trying to work out where the police are going next and chasing after that. He lived in the ghetto himself. So he was from, you know, he was, he was raised on the streets and he was pretty savvy and he knew what was going on. And he would spend evening after evening, night after night in his battered old car. Uh, sometimes he didn't have the money even to put petrol into it because he was paid so badly. Uh, racing from crime scene to crime scene and he'd arrive there. He'd take some pictures with his camera. He'd sometimes do a live feed more in more recent years on, on Facebook. Hola, muy buenos días. Buenos días, mi gente. Gracias por estar pendiente aquí las transmisiones de su compita, el Cuatro Cuatros. Aquí andamos trabajando desde... Um, he wasn't delving deep into the finances or the, the identities of the cartel bosses. He was covering the street-level consequences of this absolutely intractable conflict that claims tens of thousands of lives in Mexico every single year. But I can imagine 
even just covering the basic details of these crimes would expose you to some pretty gruesome stuff, right? What did Margarito's friends and his colleagues tell you about the kinds of situations he found himself in? Bibi told me about some of the absolutely horrific things that Margarita was covering pretty much day in, day out, and we are talking about horrific things. O cuerpos desmembrados, cuerpos, este, pues sí, desmembrados, mutilados, ¿no? Cráneos. Bodies that have been put in vats of acid, skulls found in fridges, body parts dumped on street corners. And, and she told me about one shooting that they went to about 15 years ago, at the height of Tijuana's conflict, where they arrived and saw more than a dozen bodies splayed out on the floor after a shootout between security forces and, and different cartel gunmen. Margarito Curia. Pues, entonces, eventos así fuertes, cañones, pues recuerdo esos dos. She, ¿no? she, she described them tiptoeing over these bodies as they lay on the floor bleeding and some of them in their death throes still still breathing she said afterwards when she got home she just carried on thinking couldn't get out of her her head the the look of despair on the faces of these people who obviously knew they were going to die another of the good friends of margarita that i met was wendy fry she's an american journalist who reports out of tijuana of anybody that was in danger Margarita was in the most danger, so we all knew that, you know? Like, one time he was in the middle of this firefight. And Wendy told me about one occasion quite recently where Margarita was doing a Facebook Live, literally as this big shootout was taking place around him. Nobody else was there, and these two groups were firing back at each other, and Margarita was somehow sort of stuck in the middle of it. People were saying to him, like, hey, this story's not worth, you know, getting into the middle of a gunfight. And of course, he was like all adrenaline and, um, you know, um, I think he knew that he was um, doing something dangerous. You know, I think he knew he was doing something dangerous. But he was very dedicated to it anyway, right? He worked so hard because he needed the money, you know, like he needed to work so hard, right? Tom, what do we know about how Margarito died? At about 12.30 on Monday the 17th of January this year, Margarito stepped out of his house on the south side of Tijuana and walked towards his car, which was parked outside. And as he opened the door, an assassin appeared from somewhere with a handgun and fired three shots. Two of them hit Margarito, one in the head and one in the neck. And then shortly after one o'clock, Margarito's friends and colleagues got wind of what was going on. And there's a WhatsApp group in which all of the journalists in Tijuana communicate. I've got the screenshots in front of me of the conversation that they had. So at 1.05, someone says, Margarito, is everything okay? And then another journalist writes, I'm calling him, but he doesn't answer. And then a friend of mine, another local journalist, starts asking, what's happened to Margarito? There's been, someone says there's been some kind of incident report. Everyone's calling him, no one knows what's going on. And the journalists start asking each other to reach out to colleagues in the Red Cross and in the police to try and find out what's happened. And that goes on for about 15 minutes. 
until one local journalist suddenly announces that he seems to have been shot and they start asking, is he dead? One says, yes, I think he's, be- I think he's dead. And then at 1.20, 15 minutes later, Margarita's wife confirms to the group that he's been murdered and murdered right outside his house. So normally I don't have any sort of emotional reaction to seeing a body, but I, when I saw his body, I was, you know, I kind of screamed and had an emotional reaction. Um, I was crying at the scene. I remember crying and being like, trying to suck it up, you know, and stop crying. Um, but no, I mean, I think there was a lot of anger right away too. Like everybody was very angry just because it, it, it was something that you could almost foresee happening, you know, and it was sort of just, you know, these motherfuckers, they did this to him, you know? God, that is so terrible. Do we have any idea why this happened? One of the reports we have from Tijuana based on the investigation is that three days before Margarita was killed, a newspaper story was published in one of the papers he contributed to, and it focused on the activities of one infamous local gangster. And the criminals who worked for that gangster suspected uh, wrongly, from what I understand, that Margarita was behind the information that, on, that that story was based on, and because of that, decided that they had to execute Margarita. Uh, that, is, that is one of the versions. Uh, we also understand that towards the end of last year, Margarita was again falsely accused of running a sort of sensationalist Facebook page called Tijuana at War that would unmask the city's gangsters. We understand that that was, that was a complete lie, but after he was accused of running that site, he sought out uh, colleagues and inquired about how he might get some kind of protection. So he was, he was obviously rattled. And Tom, what does the police investigation say? I mean, have they made any progress in trying to get to the bottom of this? From what we understand, a couple of days before he was killed, one of the people suspected of commissioning the, the murder phoned up another local, local hitman and said, I need a soldier for a murder. And he offered him about $800 for the crime, for what he called chumba, a job. It was just another job. So three men were arrested in early March, and they are due in court in a few months, and we should learn more then. But already there is a suspicion up in Tijuana, I think, that as is often the case when journalists are murdered there, uh, sometimes nobody is caught at all. Sometimes the, the gunmen are caught. But almost never are the masterminds behind these killings caught. And I think there is a suspicion at the moment that the three people who are in custody, are they may well have been the perpetrators of the actual crime itself, but that above them may lurk, you know, a bigger figure who ordered and paid for the assassination. Right. And the other thing that's so um, frustrating, I guess, about it all is that there's never an answer. Nobody's ever going to say for sure. You're never going to find out. Why was Margarito killed? That must really breed a sense of, of impunity, that if you want to order a journalist dead, you can do that and basically face no consequences. That's absolutely the sense in Mexico at the moment, yeah, is that you can kill, any, you know, kill anyone uh, and you can kill a journalist and nothing, the, the overwhelming probability is that nothing will happen to you. Tom, Margarito's death wasn't an isolated one. Tell me about this wider trend of journalist killings in Mexico. Margarito's death has drawn a lot of attention because he was such a well-known character. I mean, he had over the years worked with journalists from all over Mexico and all over the world. So 
when he was killed, it was something that really, really was very shocking. But actually, journalists have been dying all over the country and they've been dying for many, many years now. 2022 has been an absolutely devastating year, but this is not a new phenomenon, unfortunately. Um, the, the, the exact statistics are hard to pin down and, and they vary depending on the group you talk to. But in the last 22 years, since the year 2000, about 150 Mexican journalists have been killed. Um, to give you... To give you, I guess, a, to give you a sense of the human cost, there is a Latin American podcast that recently did an episode on this. Ramiro Teles Contreras. Enrique Perea Quintanilla. And they read out the names of every single Mexican journalist who has been killed since the year 2000. And it took them more than four minutes to read out all of the names. It is just appalling. Amado Ramírez Dillanes. Saúl Noé Martínez. Gerardo García Pimentel. Francisco Ortiz Monroy. Bonifacio Cruz Santiago. Alfonso Cruz Pacheco. Felicitas Martínez Sánchez. Teresa Bautista Merino. Candelario Pérez Pérez. And I think one of the things to say about it too is that these are not journalists who are dying um, like, you know, unfortunately, like so many of our colleagues in war, in, in, um, in official war zones, they're not being hit by mortars or blown up by landmines or caught in the crossfire. Many of the journalists, in fact, nearly all of the journalists, nearly all of the eight who've been killed this year have been killed near or, or in front of or in fact inside their own homes. They're journalists who are being singled out, targeted in cold and calculated ways, very specifically um, to kill them at, the, at their place of work, at their home, and many of the Mexican journalists I speak to are absolutely convinced that this is designed to send a message. The message is, we know where you work, we know where you live, we know what you're doing, and if we want to kill you, we'll do it. Tom, this is clearly a pretty entrenched problem, but as you've been saying, this year has been particularly bad. Just six days after Margarito was killed, another journalist, Lourdes Maldonado, was shot outside her home in Tijuana. A couple of days earlier, she had actually been at Margarito's memorial service. And it's not just Tijuana. There have been eight deaths across the country this year, compared to nine in the whole of last year. Do Mexican authorities care? Are they doing anything to try to stop this, or even just saying something to demonstrate that it's unacceptable? Mexican journalists say the government is not doing enough and they are particularly angry about the way that Mexico's current president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, has handled the situation. He is purportedly a progressive politician who came to power in 2018. He sent the message even before his swearing in, arriving in an old Volkswagen Jetta. Things were going to change. At the third attempt, Andres Manuel López Obrador became Mexico's president, the country's first leftist leader in decades. But during the time he has spent in power, he has emerged as actually a kind of Trump, Bolsonaro-style media-bashing populist who has a really, really awkward tetchy relationship with journalists. And that was really on show when he went up to Tijuana one month after Margarita was shot. The sense you had before he touched down was that he was going to come and he was going to uh, announce some kind of progress or arrests um, and, and, of course, express his sympathies for, the, for Margarita's family and for the wider community of journalists. Pues nos da mucho gusto estar en 
Tijuana, en Baja California. He came and stood up there at the lecture. Estamos iniciando una gira. But then he launched into this bizarre, long rant. It's strange to use the word rant because AMLO has a very slow and measured and uh, a quite unusual way of speaking. He is not by any measure a captivating orator. But he launched this bizarre, uh, but quite typical of AMLO, rant against the media. Son mercenarios. De... He believed that wealthy mercenary journalists from Mexico who were trying to attack his administration needed to publish their salaries, and he accused some journalists of receiving support from the US and deliberately trying to undermine his administration. I remember listening to it on the radio and just thinking, when you're addressing an, an audience of many journalists, most of whom were their friends, who knew them, who were still grieving, Joaquin, this guy cannot be serious. I absolutely wouldn't want to suggest that there are no questions to be asked about the Mexican media and the groups that run many of the big channels and papers, uh, just as there are questions to ask uh, in other countries around the world. But I think what shocked so many people is that at a moment of such crisis, when journalists are being killed, uh, the Mexican president decided to choose that moment of grief and mourning to attack, to attack the media. And he couldn't contain himself because it is so much part of his shtick. He, he clearly feels so, um, so deeply that journalists and journalism is against him and that he is leading this historic uh, revolution, as he describes it, transformation of Mexico, and that anyone who puts themselves against that is an enemy of the people. The sort of rhetoric is is kind of it's um it's straight out of Trump's um, playbook. It reminds me a lot of the kind of rhetoric that we hear down here in Brazil from Jair Bolsonaro, who's another media basher. Uh, and it's and it's dangerous here. It's dangerous in the U.S. And I think it's very very dangerous in Mexico, where people are paying the price in blood. Coming up making dental impressions out of Play-Doh, taking selfies as proof of life, and other measures Mexican journalists are taking in the face of extraordinary danger. Tom, you spoke to a lot of Margarito's friends, people like Bibi, like Wendy, in light of the clear dangers facing them, how do they feel about their own personal safety? I think they all feel very shaken, uh, very shocked. Um, there's a weird sort of disconnect between the private lives of these people. You know, they're just ordinary um, mothers or fathers, sometimes with small kids at home who, who live quite normal lives. And then when they hit the streets to do their reporting, they're sort of plunged into this horrific world of, you know, this horrific daily slaughter. And then at the end of the day, they go back home to their, to their families and their kids and they try and put away the things they've seen and the risks they're running. And they kind of put them in a box before they have to go back to work. But I think they feel utterly, utterly shaken. And have these killings changed the way that journalists in Tijuana work? Like when Bibi or Wendy get a call would they hesitate now when they might not have before? I think Mexican journalists have been adapting to this really 
hard reality for for years now i mean they go to um they they take precautions when they are working that sound i think to most journalists absolutely over the top but are actually quite necessary i'll give you an example a couple of years ago i was working with a mexican journalist on a story and i noticed that when we were heading out to to a rural area um where we were with some families who were looking for their missing relatives who they thought had been disappeared by the cartels. And I started noticing that this colleague of mine was constantly taking selfie, what I thought was selfies of the group of journalists who were going there. And I, to be honest, I thought it was a bit inappropriate that, that the journalist was taking selfies and sending them to someone when we were going out, um, apparently to find, you know, expecting to find a, a mass grave, dead bodies. And then I realised what they were actually doing and what they were doing was part of their security protocol. They were sending photographs to their partner and to journalist colleagues so that if we were disappeared whilst we were reporting, they would know the clothes we'd been wearing when we were last seen. So that if authorities at some point had to, or if relatives had to identify us at the morgue or authorities found our bodies in, another, in a mass grave of our own, people would know the clothes we'd been wearing. And I started talking to the journalist about it and she told me that another precaution they take is that before she goes out to a, to, on a story like that, she will use plasticine like kids' Play-Doh to make a, an improvised dental impression that, that will be left at home in the freezer uh, so that if something happens, if she goes missing and if she, like so many missing people in Mexico, I mean, it's, it's awful to say it, but you know, this is the truth, if she is taken by cartel gunmen or criminals, executed, chopped up, you know, burnt, dumped in a tub of acid, and the only remains that are ever found of her are her, are her teeth or her bones, she's left that Play-Doh impression at home so that people can identify her. So, I mean, there are sort of extraordinary measures that Mexican journalists have been taking for years now to try and protect themselves, and I think they'll just be doing more and more of that now. But how do you protect yourself when... You, you know, you can be killed literally on your doorstep. God, I don't even know what to say. That that thing about the teeth is extraordinary. I mean, Tom, these people do the same job that you do. I mean, they're, they're just, they're journalists. After spending time in this environment, what did you come away feeling? Like, what stayed with you? I guess I came away with a a really profound admiration for for the risks and for the commitment that these journalists have to telling the story of their cities and their towns and their country. Um, it's easy for a foreign correspondent. You jet into a city, you report on it for a couple of days or you know, you know perhaps a week, couple of week, weeks tops, and then you fly back home. But you're not sat on top of the story. You're not, you're not, you're not there constantly covering the same story, picking at the same scab day after day after day running the risk. I mean, I often come back from these stories thinking, who have I been talking to? Do, am I completely sure that that person uh, is on, you know, is, 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 a, is a good guy or a bad guy? What's, what's really going on? Are, are you, you know, are you inadvertently stepping into cartel territory? Are you questioning, asking questions that might get you or someone you're working with into trouble. Um, and I find myself just in a few days worrying about those kinds of things, you know, waking up in the, in the middle of the night thinking, bloody hell, is that, a, you know, is that someone knocking at my hotel door? Well, imagine if you live in a city like that and your kids live there and they go to school every day and that's your life. I said to 
one of my friends in Tijuana whilst I was there. Um, over a beer at the end of the day, I mean, one of probably quite a few beers at the end of the day. Um, I told him actually that I'd sort of confided in him that I'd been quite glad when I left Mexico. I lived there for a couple of years and when I stopped reporting on a regular basis on this kind of thing, because whilst I'm really fond of Mexico, um, I actually found it quite frightening and and I didn't <laughs> I didn't want to lose my you know I didn't I didn't want to lose my life reporting on on a country as I put it to him that you know that, that where I didn't you know I didn't have skin in the game I didn't feel it was my fight my my family's Brazilian not Mexican um, and and I and I, I suppose I've always felt that if something like that were to happen to me I'd, I'd I'd rather it happen in the, you know, in the country that, that I had a connection to. My son is Brazilian. And my friend said to me, yeah, you know, Tom, I, un I really understand you. It is really dangerous here. But you know what? I do have skin in the game. You know, this is my battle, he said. And he's still there reporting on, on Tijuana, despite the fact that Margarita was his very dear friend of years and years and years. Well, Tom, we're glad that you were able to, to share their stories with us. Thanks so much. Thank you. That was Tom Phillips, The Guardian's Latin America correspondent. Thank you so much to him. You can read his coverage of dangers to press freedom in Mexico and about the death of Margarito Martinez at theguardian.com. There, you can also read our coverage of the death of another journalist on Wednesday, Al Jazeera's Shireen Abu Atla who Al Jazeera says was killed by Israeli gunfire, the Israeli government denied that account. This episode was produced by Josh Kelly. Sound design was by Solomon King. The executive producers are Mithli Rao and Phil Maynard. We're back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. 